Amen. So good to be with you here again this morning. By this point, you've already put two and two together. I am not Pastor Daniel. He is in Minnesota right now. He's worshiping with his oldest daughter, Grace. So um, I know he's, he's with us in spirit, and he has messaged me this morning several times just saying that he's praying for us, and he's uh, just desiring, desiring God's best for his church here. Uh, this morning. Not Daniel's church, but God's church here this morning. So it's crazy. This is the first Sunday in the new year. I, I can't believe we are in the year 2024. I don't know about you, but it's, it's a little bit head spinning for me. Probably more head spinning for me as I'm getting older than it is for young people who were born not that long ago. Um, but it just seems that the older I get, the faster time escapes me. Can anybody relate to that? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. It's crazy. The weekends are faster. The days are shorter. And I feel this whole truth that you see in James of life being this mist and this vapor. I feel it more than ever. And I don't know about you, but as I get older, I feel the pinch and the pain of fleeting time. And it urges me it urges me to lean into the moment with intention and purpose more than ever. Some have actually used this description of me and my personality, and they say, Dunford, you run hot. Um, hot, not always in a good way, but usually in terms of my walk with God. I mean, it, it, and it's partially because I feel this vapor. I feel time escaping me, and I don't want to waste it. And I'm moving into life with more intention and purpose than ever. My desire is to care more. My desire is to, to love deeper, to pursue harder, and to run the race that's set before me with an even greater fervor. This ought to be at the very heart of our resolutions for the new year. Anybody brave enough to make resolutions at the start of the year? Some of us do. Okay, common resolutions, right? We, we find ourselves falling into similar ruts year over year over year. We say, I want to lose weight. That's this guy here. I want to lose weight. Maybe I want to read more. Maybe I want to spend more time with my kids. Or, you know, you, you put these resolutions out there and you plant your flag to say, this is where I want to be. We want to live our lives in a dynamic way. You know, maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what, I want to live more for King Jesus this year. You know what, that's a good resolution, right? I want to be more intentional in regards to my walk with God. I don't want to be standing on the precipice of 2025, looking back and saying, man, I did nothing in regards to my walk with God. You know, this, this passion is what drove godly men like Jonathan Edwards, an early colonial pastor who was deeply influenced by the devotion of the Puritans, and he had a desire to have his heart burn hot for the things that really mattered in this life. He wanted to be more committed. He wanted to be more passionate. He wanted to be more devoted, more intentional, more gospel-focused than ever before. As a young man, he longed to have his life matter. He longed to live for a purpose that was bigger than himself. And at the age of 19, 
Jonathan Edwards penned 70 God-centered resolutions for his life. They're incredible. And his purpose in writing them was to plant his flag in the ground in, in declaration of what he desired his life to be all about. Let me read just a few of them. Think about this and put it, put it in perspective, 19, okay? So 19-year-olds out there, this is what was on his mind. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure. In the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence, resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world. Think about that. To obtain as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, the might, the vigor, the vehemence, yea, the violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. So for some of us who are struggling maybe through some of the words here, the reality is he's saying, you know what? I want my life to be about the next life. I want to pursue with everything that's in me this, this joy, this happiness that's beyond the now. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved that I will act as I think I shall judge would have been best and most prudent when I come into the future world. Resolved that I will live so as I wish I had done when I come to die. Jonathan Edwards wanted to live a life of no regrets. No regrets. You know, and as we stand on the precipice of 2024, allow me to ask you, where will you plant your flags in the coming year? What will you look at in regards to your life and say, this is the most important thing. This is the one thing I don't want to miss. The most critical thing that I want to pursue. What will be your resolution statements to guide your pursuits? What loves will your choices reflect most vividly? Let me say that again. What loves, what passions will your choices reflect most vividly? You know, in the Gospels, Jesus walked with a simplistic yet poignant pursuit as he sought to have his life reflect the most important Jesus wanted to be about the things that matter. Perhaps if young Jonathan Edwards had the opportunity to, to mention or to be mentored, I should say, at, at the feet of Jesus, his resolution about the most important thing might have gone something like this. Resolved that in all my earthly sojourn, I shall ardently seek the exaltation of the divine or live my life for the honor and glory of God adhering to the sacred command of the Lord, resolved to love the Almighty with the entirety of my heart, soul, and mind, yea, with all that is within me. 
and to extend this love to my neighbor as unto myself. May this covenant be the guiding principle of my life in every action, a testament to a life lived in reverent obedience and harmonious love, reflective of the divine commandment laid forth in our creator. I want to live a life that matters. You know, Jesus' life demonstrated a pursuit of this goal with passion, with zeal, with fervor. This was the very beat of his heart to love God voraciously and love people as an outflow of this passionate pursuit of God. His pursuit was automatic. It was predictable. It was something that you never had to second guess. You knew that Jesus' life was going to beat. It was going to throb for this purpose. As we think about our walks with God in this coming year, I would urge us to let this passion for the most important thing drive us as well. That we would order our priorities around it. That it would be the passion that burns the hottest within us, more than our favorite sports team, more than other priorities, more than other loves, more than other passions, that our love for God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength would be the driving force. Jesus in Matthew 22, he's engaging with a Pharisee, okay, religious ruler of the day. He was also a lawyer, and he was struggling at the time with what the, the Pharisee was struggling at the time with what he ought to be about as a follower of God. In other words, what ought to be the driving force of my life as he's engaging with Jesus? And he asked Jesus in verse 36 of Matthew 22, he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Or what's the most important thing? And he said to him, very simply, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hinge all the law and the prophets. This guy should have known this. He was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. This kind of thinking should have been automatic for him. The most important thing for a follower of God is so simple. Love the Lord your God. Love him with everything you got. There is no room for two masters in your heart, period. But not only that, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Serve people with an undiminished fervor with the same passion for which you tend to your own needs. Love God, love people. His response ought to have been automatic for him. And yet for us, for some reason, it's not. It's not. It's not instinctive. Why is that? Well, could it be that we've truly lost sight of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God? Could it be that our aspirations are more for me, more for now, more for my joy, my happiness, my peace, my comfort than they are for God? Perhaps I am guilty of not loving God with all of my heart. That's the question I ask myself as I enter into 2024. What's your life all about? What's your passion? Are you all about your own comfort or are you about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whose kingdom are you living for? 
You know, as Jesus walked this earth, he talked a lot about his coming kingdom. But he did it in veiled riddles, right? Jesus, it seemed, was never really direct with what he was getting at. He wanted to to paint a picture to help people understand. And he did it in veiled riddles known as parables. And this led to some confusion amongst the disciples and misconceptions about what this kingdom of God was really all about. Contrary to what they had hoped, Jesus taught that his kingdom was vastly different from the kingdoms of man. Jesus would often say, my kingdom is not of this world. And while the kingdom of man is focused on status and accolades and external achievements, Jesus desired to reign in our hearts. And as our hearts are gripped by an undying passion, this love for God, it it oozes out in a loving expression to all that I come into contact with. Hence the great command, love God, love people. God's kingdom was an inside out kingdom. It flows out of who I am in Christ and it spreads out to everybody else that I engage with. But not only that, his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. The disciples thought that greatness was achieved through position and through status. Jesus taught that the measure of greatness was in a heart of servitude and humble ministry. You know, in Matthew 20, Jesus is engaging with the mother of James and John. And their mother boldly and foolishly asked Jesus about giving her boys a seat of honor at his right hand in the kingdom of God. Jesus, please make much of my boys, right? Noble request, for sure. Foolish, but noble. And as Jesus kindly admonishes her for this request, he instructs her about the nature of his kingdom, which he's talking about. Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. He says this, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, or to to be served rather, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's as if he's saying, listen, if you and your boys want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you desire greatness, it is not achieved through status or position. You should not be concerned with where they sit. Rather, true greatness in my kingdom is demonstrated through a humble heart to serve. Again, this idea, inside out, upside down. Whoever would be great, let him be your servant. And if you're like me, you have to admit that this is indeed a tall order. It's a difficult task. Where do we find the capacity to love in this way? Well, our capacity to live in this manner and to love in this manner flows out of the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with everything that's in you. What's left when all is given to God? What's left for me? Nothing. That's the point. So let's, let's bring this in for a second. Parents, if you're going to live out this great command to love your kids and to love your, love your family in a way that brings honor and glory to God, you're going to love your families the best when you love God the most. Dads, you won't have the capacity to be a good dad if you're not loving God the most. Wives, you won't have the capacity to be a good mom and a good wife if you're not loving God the most. 
pastors. You're not going to have the capacity to love your congregation the best if you're not loving God the most. Students, you're not going to love your classmates the best and serve them with the greatest level of fervor if you don't love God the most. Some of you are in relationships right now. Some of you are getting ready to get married. I'll, I'll tell you right now, if you are not loving God the most, you will not have the capacity to love this future spouse or this boyfriend or this girlfriend in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. Your capacity to love and therefore to serve others flows out of an undying love for God. So what does all this look like to love God in this manner? This brings us to our text this morning. We're going to discuss it together in the brief time that we have left. And this is a beautiful example a beautiful example of this kind of love given to us by Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I appreciate you bearing with me through the introduction because there, there's so much foundation that we need to establish before we come to a text like this and say, what do we do with it? And I promise you, we're not going to go for another 40 minutes. John chapter 13. So the context is this passage opens up. We, we see a few things happening. The Jewish Passover is at hand. And this was a time when Jews from all over came to Jerusalem to celebrate Yahweh's miraculous rescue from the hand of the Egyptians. It was an exciting time if you were a Jew. It was a historically rich celebration, a time of reflection, a time of encouragement, a time of worship. In verses 2 and 3, Jesus' disciples had gathered together to share a meal. Judas' betrayal was imminent. The time of Jesus' suffering was rapidly approaching. As they were sitting, reclining at table, Jesus, in an effort to show them what it means to love in this manner, what it means and what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus moves. The scripture records in verse 4 of chapter 13. It says, He arose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. As we dive into this passage, it's important to understand that there's a lot going on here. There's a lot that we just simply won't have time to unpack fully this morning. And with that in mind, just extend me some grace as there will undoubtedly be some themes and some truths that we just simply won't have time to look at in great depth. That said, as it relates to the heart of service, as it relates to being about the most important thing, about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and reaching out to those who desperately need us and need to see that kind of gospel love. Loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength means, number one, I am ready to move in whatever ways that God compels me. I am ready to move in whatever ways that God compels me. It's important as we look at this text, we see that Jesus didn't wait, did he? He didn't wait. He rose from supper. He moved. He saw the opportunity to serve, and he embraced it. Why? Well, Jesus saw that his service was an opportunity to share the love that he had for God with those whom he loved so deeply. He saw this as an opportunity to express what was going on in his heart. 
that which captivated his heart, soul, mind, and strength had to ooze out from him. And Jesus saw this as an opportunity to love them. More than that, he wanted them to know that same love. He saw the ways in which their hearts were still filled with themselves and held hostage by their own passions and the entrapments of this world, and he desired for them to be free. They were still contending for their own kingdoms, and they were blind to it. You know, many of us here today are still contending for our own kingdoms. We're living for us. We're living for me. We're living for now. Pursuing status, comfort, our own passions. And what is the call? What are we being called to this morning? Abandon all other loves, brothers and sisters. Abandon all other passions that you might pursue God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when I do that, I am ready to move. Think of what would happen if all of us in the congregation here today said, you know what, I, I don't know what God is calling me to do, but I'm going to start praying. God, would you show me? Show me who you want me to talk to. Show me what you want me to do. Show me where you want me to move. Show me how you want me to live and function and act. And God, I am ready because I love you with everything that's in me. Think of what would happen. I can't even imagine. How will you know when God has your heart? You won't hesitate to move when God says go. In addition to being ready to move, loving God in this way or being about the main thing in this coming year means I'm eager to do whatever's necessary. I'm eager to do whatever's necessary. I'm ready. It's a, it's a put me in coach kind of mindset. <laughs> I'm ready to do whatever you got for me, God. I will engage. I will involve myself. I will step into the unknown. I will step into the scary spaces of life. And we all have things that terrify the tar out of us. Talk to your neighbor, engage with a coworker, teach a Sunday school class, volunteer for the nursery, get involved, minister, get off the bench, get in the game. Loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength means I'm eager to do whatever is necessary. What did Jesus do in verses four and five? He did the hard thing even when culture stood in his way. He did the hard thing, even when culture stood in his way. What Jesus did in the washing of his disciples' feet, this was not customary, okay? Foot washing was reserved for the lowest class. Why do you think that is? Feet were disgusting. In Roman culture, Roman society, they had a unique sewage system where everything in the house flowed out into the streets and then it drained. And when you're on a long journey and you're walking down that street, guess what gets caked to your feet? It's nasty. Dirt, crud, animal, fill in the blank. It's gross, right? It was reserved for the lowest class. It was the most menial task that one could be given. It was uh, foot washing, put the servant in contact with the grossest aspects of Roman society. The challenge to us is simple. Push against the norm. Eagerly pursue that ministry that is most needful in the lives of those you love. Even if the work is hard. You know, I think for some of us, we're afraid to say, how was your week? 
because we don't know what kind of garbage we're going to hear coming the other direction. So it's easier for me to stay distant and talk about sports than it is for me to get into the weeds with you in your life. What do we need to do? We need to press in. We need to love more deeply. We need to pursue the hard thing. We are called to do hard things. Men, we need to do a better job at leading this way. We need to do a better job of serving this way. We need to do a better job of demonstrating to our spouses and to our kids what it means to chase after the hard things and to be bold in that pursuit. May we not grudgingly follow the promptings of our wives. May our love for God and his priorities be the driving passion of our existence. And may we serve our families with zeal and fervor. Here's what it looks like for this guy. Serving my family by, by ministering the word. I want that to be the chiefest passion in my life. I don't want you to ever wonder. If you ask my kids and say, what is Pastor Mike most about at home? I don't want to hear them say, he loves his football team. I do, but I don't want that to be my driving passion or his TV shows or his comforts or his ease or dad's really impatient or this, that, or the other. I, I want to serve my family by, by ministering the word and be create, by creating a culture that loves the word of God. I want a Deuteronomy 6 kind of mindset. I'm talking about it often. When we rise up, when we sit down, when we pray, when we discuss, you know, we, we want to be engaging as men. We want to give the most needful thing to our kids. See, we zero in on the, on the periphery most often and most readily. We're about the things that, that don't really matter in scope of eternity, and yet the one thing, the most needful thing, are the things that we neglect the most. Serve them by ministering the word and creating a culture that loves the truth of God. Serve them through faithful intercession. Fight for your family from your knees. Husbands, lead the way on this. Wives, be about it. The problem for us, for many of us, is we are more consumed with fighting with the people we love than we are fighting for them. Fight for their soul. Remember that they're not the enemy. You know, you can live in the most contentious household. You might be sitting there saying, Pastor Mike, if you had any idea of the, the garbage I deal with on a daily basis with my spouse, whew, that would open your eyes. You're probably right. No matter how difficult, no matter how abusive, no matter how hard your home situation might be, those whom you are at odds with the most are not the enemy. Fight for them. That is one of the chief ways in which we serve. Fight for them from your knees. Serve them sacrificially by giving of yourself. Serve them just as Jesus served you. What did he do? He laid down his life. Peter in verse 8 demonstrates his extreme displeasure with, with Jesus for his eagerness to perform this task that in Peter's estimation was beneath his master, right? He foolishly rebuked Peter and he says, he says this to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
As Peter is still trying and and struggling to wrap his head around this upside down kingdom. Kings don't do this. It's essentially what Peter is saying. Jesus is faithful to remind Peter that transformational servant leadership is a foundational outpouring of, of loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, when I love God in this way, there is no, t- there is no task that is too low for me. There is no pursuit that's, that's beneath me. I, I need to do the most needful thing, whatever it is. And furthermore, in being a follower of Jesus, this is what my life needs to be about. Peter felt that with Jesus being Lord and master over all, that certainly there must be someone of a lower position and better suited for this specific task. Jesus showed him to the contrary. Loving God with all your heart means embracing his mission with all your might. His mission involved loving service towards his brothers and sisters in Christ, giving of yourself that others may prosper. And he was about to demonstrate to what extremes this love was going to take him. Furthermore, to what extreme it would take all of them. And I would say, as we look at this, we would see the, the extremes that it will take us. I hope and I pray that as we see these extremes that we would say, man, this is so good. Sign me up, put me in. Because I love him with such a passion. Jesus says to him, Peter, if you are not about this work, then you have no part in me. Peter's response is remarkable. He says, in that case, then wash all of me. Don't stop with just my feet. (laughs) I can't bear the thought of not having any part with you. Peter struggled with this earthly expression. And yet Jesus was faithful to point Peter to a much more critical truth, a truth that would change their lives and revolutionize their thinking. Jesus was pointing them to the heart of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, hear me in this. Please, I beg you, hear me in this. We need to be willing to go the distance for those that God has entrusted to us relationally. We need to. Brothers, sisters, friends, neighbors, moms, dads, co-workers, teachers, pastors. We need to be ready. We need to be eager. We need to strive to pursue them. And for some of us, we're still stuck in this feeling of positional prominence or pride. And God is calling us this morning in this text to shed the pride and love your brothers and sisters in Christ with the same love with which God has loved you. This brings us to the final point in our text. When I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I am ready and eager to be the man or the woman that God has called me to be. I'm ready and eager. You know, there's so much more in this text that I would love to unpack with you. We just don't have the time. Suffice it to say, though, that as Jesus wraps up this discussion with his disciples, he points out a few really important closing truths. Well, in verses 8 through 10, this, this, this washing, for example, is so much more than merely cleaning the crud off the feet of his disciples, right? I mean, yeah, that's gross and it needs to be done, but it's so much more than that. Jesus seems to imply that his chief aim is to purge the crud that is caking their hearts and keeping them from a heart, soul, mind, and strength 
kind of love. He desires to remove their burden of sin. If I don't wash you, he says to Peter, you have no part of me. In other words, there is a kind of service, Peter, that is so menial that every fiber of your being will want to reject it. Resist the urge, love the sacrifice, embrace it with all your heart. While this washing was definitely meant to portray a heart of loving and humble service towards one another in whatever way God calls them to, whatever way was necessary, it's also telling us a picture of what is coming, a foreshadowing of the gospel work that Jesus would do on the cross. You see, Jesus had to be the one to wash their feet. As only one who was truly clean had the power to cleanse in the ways in which Jesus seemed to imply. Serving them in this way would lay a foundational understanding that would fuel a lifetime of ministry for his disciples. Just as Jesus served you, so you are called to serve others. Greater love has no man than this, than a man should lay down his life for his friends. Be faithful to guide them to this kind of cleansing. You know, God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, while our hearts were still caked with the death and decay of sin, Christ died for us. Love them in this way. You know, Jesus goes on to say in verses 12 to 17 that this gift, this gift of cleansing was meant to be taken to a world that remains caked in the death and decay of sinful humanity. Just as I have served you, go and do likewise. And otherwise, when, in other words, when you embrace this idea of transformational servant leadership, when you remember the love that you have for God and out of that you desire to serve and give and minister, you are demonstrating the great love with which I loved you and are pointing them to me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, come on up as we wrap up our time here this morning. Here's the question. Do you desire to live for this inside-out, upside-down kingdom in the coming year? Do you desire to live out his values in a dynamic way? Do you desire true greatness? Do you want 2024 to be different? And embrace the mindset of Christ that's presented in this text. Demonstrate the heart. Go after the hard things. Seek to do that which is most needful in the lives of those you love. Care for them. Shepherd them. Love them. Minister to them. Be bold in your relationships with them. Don't be fearful. Because here's the reality. is If we're not willing to do that, it says something about the love that we have in our hearts for God, one. And two, it says the, it, it, it tells the story of an absence of love for those around us, which is tragic and heartbreaking. Jesus was faithful in all that he was called to do. He was ready to move. He was eager to serve. He was faithful to be the man that God had called him to be. Let us not waste this calling today, my brothers and sisters. As we close, I want to end with Paul's words in Galatians chapter 5, he says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Your souls have been cleansed by Christ, right? The bondage has been broken. Only don't use your freedom 
as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't live for you in this coming year. But through love, a deep and abiding love for God, serve one another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, Father, for all that you've done. I thank you, Father, for giving us Christ, for saving us, for drawing us to yourself, for giving us lives in the gospel. I thank you, Father, for giving us the capacity to love you with everything we have, with everything that's in us. And I pray, God, that as we embrace that kind of love, that kind of passion, God, that you would awaken in us a commitment and a passion to be about the most important things, God. To pursue the most important things in those we love. To lead in the most important ways. To embrace that which gives life to our souls. To seek to minister to those we come into contact with. To be the hands and feet of Christ. I pray, Father, as we close out our time, that you'd help us to honor you, to glorify your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.